0: What's up, guys, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. Binge Mode made its grand return earlier this month, and Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion are deep-diving on the Star Wars franchise, covering every movie, the newly-released Disney Plus series The Mandalorian, and fan-favorite characters. You can check out new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And up on the site, we have more Mandalorian coverage, written by Micah Peters, Alison Herman, and Ben Lindberg, as well as staff-wide surveys throughout the season. You can check it all out on the ringer.com. Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Robust episode. We got Taylor and Scooter, part two. We got Serena Williams, Instagram influencer. Didn't mm-hmm. see that coming. Uh, <laughs> I, I did. But <laughs> David Harbour has an architectural digest spread and just really making a name for himself in the media right now. And is
1: also an Instagram influencer. And, as evidenced by his design taste, <laughs> which we'll talk about.
0: At least he, he takes up a lot of influence culture as well. Yeah. And uh, we have to start with the quote-unquote car crash interview that Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, gave on Saturday night on BBC Newsnight. That has dominated the British press since, and quite a bit of the American press as well. Yes. And calling it a car crash is generous. It is one of the most insane displays on a news program ever.
1: Totally oblivious, completely inexplicable as well as indefensible. You have no idea why anyone thought that it was a good idea to put this man in front of a camera for an hour and answer questions from a journalist because he is entirely unequipped to do it and gets himself into far more trouble. And as a result, you know, we haven't talked a ton about the Prince Andrew Jeffrey Epstein scandal on this show just because it's it's depressing. It's not great, and there's not really much to say other than it sure seems like Prince Andrew did not exercise great judgment at best, and was involved in some really seedy behavior at worst. Yeah, illegal behavior at worst. Yes, and a really upsetting behavior. I don't. I honestly don't mean to. To underplay it, we just kind of don't know what's going on,
0: and it seems quite bad. And it's not the kind of thing that you want to get your jokes off about. He's been accused of having sex three times with someone who has been called a sex slave who was 17 years old. Yeah. That he's been photographed with, though he's denied knowing, essentially.
1: Yeah. So, this has been going on, the rumors have been going on for... Years and years. Years and years. I mean, he was photographed, I believe, in two thousand. 10. That's a major part of the interview. And finally—
0: with, Photographed with Jeffrey Epstein yes, in 2010. And 10. After Jeffrey Epstein had been released from prison for being a sex offender, right. sex trafficking.
1: And as Jeffrey Epstein was back in the news and then obviously um, died over the summer, the tabloids have kind of been circling around Andrew. And finally, for some reason that's still
0: not totally clear,
1: he agreed
0: to do an interview. And I said— sub- He pushed for the interview because he was told not to do it by his press secretary, who's quit two weeks prior, and he he still did it. Like, right. he was advised not to and actively chose to do it.
1: Right. And so from the basic, like, PR management perspective, this seems like the worst decision in the world. I have to say from the perspective of, like, humans who want to hold other people to a standard, it is a really instructive piece of journalism of just being like, oh, this guy doesn't take any responsibility for himself. And it's amazing and astonishing to see it on screen in real time.
0: He also is, didn't come prepared with the right talking points. Right. He clearly wasn't coached well because he just says things that are so absurd and beyond. Even, I don't want to call him a liar, though there's some evidence that he said things that were not true. But like, for example, one of the nights in question he says is not possible. he's a, he, One of the, his accusers says that they were together in a nightclub in Mayfair and it was sweaty. And he says that's not possible because of a condition after serving time in the Royal Navy in the Falkland War. And the condition is that he had so much adrenaline that, like, now it, preve- it prevented him from sweating for many years and he now sweats. Yes,
1: the condition is reversed. I yeah. mean, not only is he making up a pretty much entirely unbelievable specific condition, but then the condition no longer applies.
0: And he also then goes on to refute another claim by saying it's not possible because I was home with the with the girls, his right. daughters, Princesses, Beatrice, and Eugenie. And he's like, because Sarah wasn't home and we, we had an arrangement that one wasn't there, the other was. And then the Daily Mail in today's paper, Tuesday, has a spread of like one specific day where... It wasn't the day in question, but there of one specific day where Fergie was somewhere in South Asia and Andrew was in New York. And so, like, there's just all of this evidence that directly and easily refutes what he's saying in this interview. And it goes on for 45 minutes. He doesn't really apologize. He says that he had poor judgment in seeing Jeffrey Epstein and, like, still having contact with him after he was convicted of his sex offense. But he doesn't, like have he doesn't have much contrition or like sadness and doesn't really seem to have like an understanding of the gravity of the situation he just like wants to like clear his name essentially
1: he has absolutely no awareness there's a long interrogation about why prince andrew's story about the photograph taken with him and jeffrey and jeffrey epstein in 2010 in central park his story there is that he flew to new york to friend break up with Jeffrey Epstein because some of Jeffrey Epstein's behavior had been uncovered at that point. I believe he had already been convicted yeah. and had served, served a, a certain amount of time. And so after he was released, <laughs> Prince Andrew, like, this is his own story. He was like, what I needed to do was fly to Jeffrey Epstein's home in New York, break up with him in person, in public, and then spend four days at the home. And... At some point, he's asked about a, quote, release party that was thrown for Jeffrey Epstein. He's like, no, no, it wasn't a release party. It was just a dinner just party a dinner. for eight to ten people. He also does this at one point about he, that he didn't throw Ghislaine Maxwell, who is the
0: ex-girlfriend
1: of Jeffrey Epstein and was, was— currently on the lamb Yes, and was involved in a certain amount of of this. She's been referred to as the madam. Exactly. We don't really know, but it it sure seems like she was kind of in, the, in the mix. And— he corrects and he says, no, no, no it wasn't a birthday party. It was just a normal shooting party. He just doesn't have any idea how real people work or would perceive his behavior. No context of, like, what his behavior, the consequences of his behavior in any way. And it basically seems quietly outraged that anyone is asking him about it. There's another point in the interview where they're asking about the famous photo of Prince Andrew with one of his
0: accusers. That's and, the, woman, the woman that they talk yes. about a lot. Her her name at the time was Virginia Alexander. And, and he has his arm around her waist. And, yes. And they're, like, in some apartment.
1: And it's photo evidence. And if you're on the internet, you've probably seen it. And they spend a lot of time suggesting—he spends a lot of time suggesting, but not quite, that it's doctored, which is offensive— For a lot of reasons, both in terms of believing victims and also just like basic common sense of how photos work. But
0: a bunch of his friends over the last few months since that photo came out have been suggesting that it's photoshopped or doctored as well. It's like, it's disgusting.
1: And then, but the thing he gets most upset about, and the only time that you can really see him be angry as opposed to kind of befuddled and stupid, is when he informs the interviewer that he is a member of the royal family. And so he doesn't do PDA. Yeah. And he would never put his arm around someone's waist. That's just not how it is. And
0: he looks deeply offended. And it's, I mean, it was just kind of like an alternate reality. In response specifically to that, the Daily Mail ran a spread of like 20 photos of him partying with various younger women in Saint-Tropez from eleven or something like that. And it's like the most unflattering, horrible thing possible in, in direct reference to that. I mean, the British press has gone wild, rightfully so, disproving like the many things yeah. that he said. And then the other thing that's like really stuck out and become like, a thing is he said that he took his daughters to dinner at a Pizza Express in Woking. Mm-hmm. And and um the and then of course reporters went to Pizza Express and Woking and like no one remembers it. And sure. so it's like, okay, why did you make that up? And he also was very specific about remembering going to Woking because he's only been there twice in his life. Like he And just, he like, says like it'd be very unusual for yeah. someone like me to go to a Pizza Express in Woking in yeah. a very condescending way. He's just an asshole and even what he is denying, in fact, did not happen. He is still a world-class asshole who makes the royal family significantly less fun.
1: Yeah, I I just want to mention the interviewer is a um, a journalist named Emily Meatless. I, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sure there's a British accent who I think was fantastic. She was great. And she didn't just, off the hook at all. Just very—but, like, very calmly and politely just being like, what are you talking about? And pointing out the inconsistencies and just kind of the— unbelievable aspects of what he was saying without it ever being super heated and quite frankly without him really seeming to realize what a what an idiot he is but this was astonishing i still can't believe that he was allowed to do it. I can't believe I that there was no one in the royal family who was like, you know what? This isn't a good idea. Now, according to the Daily Mail, they're laying all the blame at uh, at Fergie's hmm. feet, saying well, she- that Fergie encouraged him to do it. Whenever you need someone to blame, yeah. Fergie's there. But this is a real, I can't believe the royal family still exists moment for me. I know. If this is where we are, how are they going to keep doing this? There, It is indefensible.
0: I was mad last week when the Remembrance Day mm-hmm. photos came out and they had put Harry and Megan behind Andrew and Bojo in the royal box. Mm-hmm. And, like, apparently that's, like, that's the seating based on seniority. Yeah. But, like, these are all rules made up and adhered to by the royal family. And, mm-hmm. like, if they had more taste, they would, like, recognize it's a bad time to have— Prince Andrew in the front row and, like, who cares if that's, like, breaking tradition and, like, acknowledging some kind of issue. Right. And I'm just even more mad about it now. Like, just, and and I, apparently, and, you know, there's not been a, any kind of condemnation or rebuttal or word from the crown. And it just really makes, like, we have like have a lot of fun with Megan and Kate on this podcast and in just in life, and it makes it so much less fun. It's just like reprehensible and disgusting. And to throw like Fergie under the bus and then to go back over the last year of Megan and all the bad press is just like so outrageous.
1: Yes, and it's all kind of like to what yeah, for end no, for nothing. As you, as you said, the royal family is making the seating arrangements based on tradition and kind of my instinctive you know, royal watcher response was like, well, they have to preserve tradition because tradition is literally the only thing. Keeping these rich, like barely educated people who we just look at photographs of for their clothes in palaces. It's really, it's such a crazy arrangement. And I know we talk about that and I'm guiltier than anyone of being fascinated in this stuff and knowing too much about it because it is pageantry And, like, there is a ridiculous historical element to it. It is kind of, like, Britain's most important export at this point, you would think, especially given some other political issues that are going on in the country currently. But it it just—from a basic, common, modern sense, it's so bizarre. And it's so bizarre that this second son— Of a 90-year-old woman who's never had to work or face a consequence a day in his life is suddenly given an hour on primetime TV in the UK to say really boneheaded things about his relationship that he does not
0: regret with Jeffrey Epstein, who is a sex trafficker. Yeah. He does say he doesn't regret it because he opened up his world to, like, so many people he wouldn't have met otherwise. And that was just such a crazy—it was one of the—there are so many other crazy things said that's been kind of, like, glossed over, but— he just basically was like, yeah, it was worth it to meet these other rich people in his universe. And I think, I don't know, it's it's just funny, like, it's also contrasted with Bill Gates' response to being uh, seen with him and Bill Clinton's mm-hmm. response. They're both just like, yes, we were seen with him. It was X number of times. I made a mistake. I regret it, whatever. And I'm not excusing those two dudes who are, like, also, you know, just kind of looking to benefit where they can, but it's certainly a more self-aware response. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit
1: about the royal family as it exists now, because like I said, I really am having a crisis of like of of my interest in this sort of stuff. And the one thing that you can say about the current arrangement that Britain has with the royal family is that they've they've separated the ceremonial and the and the actual governing to a degree. And so whereas here in the U.S. we're voting for presidents as much for Their families and, you know, their identity and kind of the person you want to have a beer with, which certainly they're voting that way in the U.K. as well. But at least there is the figurehead aspect and the actual business aspect. And I think that separating those can have benefits. But it's really wild that the ceremonial aspect just goes to a bunch of people who have just— lived in palaces for a long time. Like that yeah. just cause this guy was born to Queen Elizabeth. No life experience. And there's no examination, there's no qualifications that you need to meet. And it's it's very clear in his interview that he just honestly thinks he deserves it. It's wild. Yeah. I can't believe it still exists. I really do wonder how much longer it it will exist. I don't know. This is really, really bad. Uh, they're obviously the British media has been having a field day with it as they are wont to do. And I, I think they're right in this case. Yeah. But, you know, they pointed out that this is kind of the second interview in a month or maybe two months that has on behalf of members of the royal family that has gotten some headlines, not all of them positive. And they're kind of like, is the queen losing losing it it, or losing her grip or which is, you know, maybe unfair from like a old-person standpoint, like, respect your elders, but just in terms of the control that she has over the family and how it's run.
0: One thing that I also think has been interesting is I think there's more of an implication that Harry and Meghan went rogue with their ITV interview, whereas the the inference that I've made from what I've read is that the Queen allowed this and it was an error in judgment. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always been said that Andrew is her favorite. Right. I think that's
1: probably true. I just think also whether— not her as a person, but kind of their strategy for how the royal family should be managed in 2019 is just kind of outdated. And they are just really losing any last justification they had for existing. I'm very curious, when the queen is no longer with us, what happens? Mm-hmm. It's stuff like this that makes me think they're gone. Right. And you just—you take it all away. And I—I I don't know. You elect some other figureheads? I, like, what will they do? I don't really know. It's It's—I have never— really spent this much time being like oh they should get rid of them just because it seems you know it's a fun soap
0: opera everybody needs it they should really get rid of them I agree with you I'm just sort of like this really ruins all of the fun and like just makes me mad
1: and it's just indefensible and it's another evidence of power being concentrated among a group of people who do not use it responsibly and beyond do not use it responsibly who hurt other people
0: yeah I know there's no there's very little positive impact also what a dummy it's just an idiot. The hubris to do this is so crazy. That's the craziest thing to me. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's just,
1: they can do all they want to remake the royal family as like a, basically a, a charity support organization. As long as this guy's in the mix.
0: No, thank you. Yeah. It's just insane. Moving on. And yeah. ho- hopefully we won't be hearing from Prince Andrew again anytime soon. Hard to believe we will be. Although who knows? Such an arrogant, arrogant human. Who knows? Um, Next. Scooter Braun and Taylor Swift back at it. Last week, she took to her Instagram with a typed-up note, two uh, slides, really old school using the Notes app like this, mm-hmm. although I did like that she has her phone in dark mode, as do I, um, <laughs> saying that she was winning the Arts of the Decade Award at the American Music Awards, which are on Sunday the 24th on ABC, Something I look forward to every year. Really? And, yes. What and, do you like about it? The performances, which is at the heart of this matter. She was supposed to perform. She will be performing on the American Music Awards. Although last week when she released her statement, it was up in the air because she said Big Machine, owned by her nemesis Scooter Braun and former collaborator and turned nemesis Scott Borchetta were not allowing her to perform songs from her back catalog, the songs for which they own the masters. Then she also added that Netflix is doing a documentary about her and that Big Machine had not agreed to allow Netflix to license the music. And she encouraged her fans to speak out and let Scooter and Scott know that they were mad. And she also asked for help from the Carlyle Group, which is a (laughs) private equity firm that allowed Scooter's company or enabled Scooter's company to buy Big Machine label group back in July, or I guess it happened in June. It was announced on July 1st. As with all Taylor Swift controversies, there were immediately were questions about, like, how could this possibly be true? Mm-hmm. And the Taylor Swift army responded, no pun intended, swiftly. Um, <laughs> the first question was, can any performer perform any song live? It's like, it's covered under, like, you know, you're allowed to perform live any song. It's a cover. It's since come out that I I think the issue at hand was that after the performance, the distribution of the clips would require permission from Big Machine Label Group. Oh, I see. To go on. And I think probably and rightfully, in my opinion, to Taylor, there's not a lot of value in doing that if it can't live on YouTube and Certainly. elsewhere afterwards. Not There's not value to Taylor and not value to the, the American Show. Music Awards, yes. which is
1: definitely living on, on YouTube. Yes. yes.
0: So that, I believe, was the issue there. But they have come to terms, apparently, mm-hmm. Dick Clark Productions and Big Machine Label Group.
1: Well, did you see that Big Machine Label Group issued a statement saying that they and Dick Clark Productions have come to an agreement, and then Dick Clark Productions clarified that they were not a part of this statement and that they didn't want Big Machine Group
0: speaking for them? Which I Incredible. think is fascinating. Incredible. Yeah. And also, fair. I wouldn't want 100% them speaking for me either. Um, the Netflix doc, no word. Don't know where that stands. I guess right. we'll find out in the future. Another really tough one. It's like, in principle, I stand with Taylor, but so just the tactics and the the language are just so hard to support all the time. I guess so. I find myself being
1: won over by it. And I know that Taylor is a very slippery character and everyone is advocating for themselves here. Everyone is very rich in advocating for themselves in this story. But I find... It, I still find it fascinating that so many people were so willing to side with a music label mm-hmm. and a music, not even producer. What are we calling Scooter? I would say he's a music magnate. Music magnate as a over the actual songwriter and artist. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a referendum on Taylor Swift in the last few years that she's had that she was, she mismanaged the media stuff and the music wasn't up to snuff that people were you know, and there's definitely also sexism involved in this, but that people were willing to side with, like, a corporation that has not provided them anything versus the actual person. That That's just fascinating to me in, a, in an internet and mass psychology sense. Yeah, And I do think that the more she keeps pointing out the, I don't want to say the unfairness of the arrangement because it is how this works and companies take a risk when they are producing an artist and the risk is, you know, part of the value inherent in the investment, you know. Yeah. But pointing out that these arrangements are not as we would think, I think, always. And I don't think most people are thinking a lot about the company that owns the masters when they're listening to Taylor Swift or no. Beyonce or any artist. And I also thought that Big Machine kind of lost this round from a strategic perspective. Agreed. The statement that they release in response was kind of snide and tried to correct Taylor, but, you know, any any law student or person who, like, watches a lot of legal procedurals could read the statement and say that they weren't actually answering any of the claims that Taylor was making. They said that, you know, we weren't trying to keep Taylor from performing at the American Music Awards, which was not her concern. It was that she couldn't perform the songs that they owned. And, you know, there was something else. So, I mean, I think they are kind of revealing their corporateness and that's this Dick Clark thing is also really interesting because the American Music Awards definitely don't want to be associated with them. Yeah,
0: definitely not. I find that uh ABC in particular is pretty talent-friendly. They try to be. Yeah. I also the thing that is also makes Big Machine look bad is that ultimately you own those masters to license them because mm-hmm. then you can make money. Because like there are you can get a really high fee for licensing them for a Netflix documentary or for the American Music Award. So it really was a fuck you because they're missing out on, mm-hmm. on revenue by not licensing it. It's not, it would, it would just be like in principle or something like, and I imagine Netflix and ABC and Dick Clark have really high budgets for this. Yes. So it's not like, it, it would have to be like out of a principle which seemed like it'd be a fuck you principle and Taylor said that the, like part of their conditions were that she would stop talking about them but mm-hmm. she re- she won't do
1: that. Right. She also really notably identifies Scott Borchetta as yeah. the person who is communicating with her team on this, and I, I don't know whether this is true, though I, I certainly think someone from Scooter's camp leaked it to try to soften it that he is starting to regret some of the. This was in the Daily Mail, um, but and that Scooter or Scott's beginning to
0: regret it. S- Scooter,
1: oh. not regret the sale, but is regretting that like the treatment of of Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and is like trying to resolve it because I think the longer bad this, for business, the longer this goes on. The worse it is for them, especially if she re-records her album. Exactly. So I hope she does. That would be wild. I hope she does. True. I just think this is all. I, you know, this statement is like typical Taylor exaggeration. I mean, calling on a hedge fund to help you is a. That's a tough. That's also, a tough look.
0: Also, Big Machine had to close their offices one day because they were getting like death threats. Like she caught. She put some people in danger. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's. I mean, all of it is. Super exaggerated. And again, it's people with a lot of money advocating for themselves. Yeah. I think it's fascinating to put it all in public. Like I I just think it's really interesting. I love it's a good tactic. Seeing these machinations, even if they are all choreographed, it's not the sort of thing that you get to see. Right. And I frankly think it's like way more fascinating than whatever, you know, fake boyfriend or Sad love triangle that she's going through in any given moment. I it, it's we've gone from Taylor Swift being perennially jilted to being jilted by major conglomerations and like being a avatar for artist rights.
0: Totally, I think that that's more interesting to me than the other one. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I actually have been thinking at the beginning of her press tour when she first did her first performance of "Me" with Brandon Urey and, and I hate that song. People were mad at her for um, ripping off Beyonce which I didn't agree with. But in general, I felt I think I said on this sh- pod that like I didn't think she was aging up very well and I didn't think she was like, mm-hmm. because she didn't know how to like be 30 years old because she's almost 30. I take that back. I think that she has looked great. I really like her romper style with boots. I think it's like pretty on point but also costumey. Mm-hmm. I think that she's acting like a businesswoman mm-hmm. and haven't thought about Joe Alwyn in a really long time, except when I listen to her music because it's explicitly about him. And I listen a lot, but... I have because,
1: once again, he is now in Harriet playing Mm. a a racist slave owner. Joe Mm. Owen only takes roles where he is a Nazi or a racist. Maybe he has a lot of white guilt. It's really confusing. It's like, that's literally all he does. He's always the bad guy that just does something unforgivable in a historical context. It's really, really nuts. Anyway, continue.
0: Other than that, haven't thought about him in a while. But— Even that is about his weird career and not his relationship, you know? Right. So I think it's cool. I don't know. Shout out Taylor Swift. I support her. I don't really want to be friends with her, but I definitely support her and also love love her. Paper Rings, just a great song.
1: There are good songs. I think it's been really interesting that this is the only awareness I have of Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift right now. I have listened to that album a couple times, but I don't really hear it around, and I don't really seek out any Taylor Swift coverage. It seems like she has just... Moved from my siloed media experience to a different, probably more lucrative media experience, which is, like, great for her. I think she is making a lot of money targeting the audience who likes me. And she played recently at a, like, a radio jamboree type thing at the Hollywood Bowl, which is near my home. And I first heard The Screams and then was able to identify every single song. That's awesome. Like, echoing through the hills. She started with... um, blank space. And mm. I was like, is that blank space? Is Taylor Swift playing at the Hollywood Bowl? <laughs> in fact, awesome. she was. But, you know, I didn't know that that concert was happening. And that might be me getting old. But I think that she has figured out just how to be a business and how to make music that makes money and keeps her going. And that and has figured out like an
0: interesting narrative we were talking about this on the One Direction podcast on Monday. I think there is a new kind of pop star that's just like a touring pop star. Yeah. Harry Styles is one as well. Also okay. also doesn't get a lot of radio play. Also isn't getting like a ton of coverage except like Taylor, except when it's getting like the mm-hmm. over-the-top profile. Selling out arenas, like selling out 20,000 seat venues and like just has figured out a way to use social media and YouTube essentially to just like power a career in that that's just targeted at, like, an online fan base that comes out once a year to the show. Right. I mean, is there
1: there any other way to be a pop star right now? Because Lord knows it's not from selling albums. You're not getting royalties from Spotify or any other streaming service that, that are enough to support a career. Yeah.
0: I do think there's, like, there are, like, the lesser radio stars who rely on being opening acts and smaller tours and getting okay. like, other kinds of endorsements and like i think that probably the um clear channel iHeartRadio radio christmas tour will be populated by those lesser stars who play to get paid mm-hmm. you know it's like the opposite of pay to play yeah <laughs> but they have to show up to get the to get the plays and everything and it's like you're either in business with sirius or you're in business with live nation and that's kind of like the two models right and it's interesting well good for taylor swift i guess I'm loving it. It's so much better than many other things happening in the news right now. I really hope she re records them. I, I would do too. like to see it play out. I feel like there's a business school case study to be written about it. I just hope that she doesn't retroactively inject the Jack Antonoff sauce. Please do not. I'm worried about that. I would like her to do, like, facsimile copies. Isn't that what she's doing? I hope so. I don't know. I mean, my understanding is that
1: it's, like, a pretty spiteful move. She's, I hope She's so. going to try to take money away from them. So great. So I think to that end, you would want to be as, like, faithful as possible so people don't go buy the old one.
0: I just fucking love it. I'm curious
1: how, like, her voice has changed and how she'll be able to re- recreate some yeah, of the totally. stuff. Yeah, it's
0: totally. It's, it's great. I can't wait. Yeah. Taylor, do it. Next. Amanda, this might be an emotional roller coaster for you. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Serena Williams' recent trip to the Maldives, which you probably know about because she was Instagramming about it like crazy. And she you, know really exactly was. Where, you know exactly where she was saying because she did hashtag Waldorf Astoria quite frequently. Yeah, she was sponsored. She did a couple s- static posts that were like ad or a Waldorf Astoria partner or something. C A T I O N at Waldorf Astoria Maldives, hashtag live unforgettable, hashtag ad. Yeah, there were so many. First reply, by the way, of of, uh, Celebs Gorgeous from Gabrielle Union. She did one of her and Olympia going down the water slide of the hotel. Mm -hmm. She did one of her on the beach. I mean, she just did a lot. She got paid for this dope vacation, which looked awesome. Yes. So this is my thing about
1: Serena, and we won't get too far into the tennis stuff. But as you know, Serena Williams had Olympia, her daughter, two years ago, and then came back to the tennis world. She's now 38 years old, and she has not yet won a Grand Slam Open, which were the major tennis tournaments, since coming back from maternity leave, which she has made it to many finals. She's still one of the greatest tennis players playing and one of the greatest tennis players of all time. But she has been doing some other stuff, and it doesn't always look like she enjoys playing. And so... I kind of really feel like Serena is pivoting to post tennis career in real time. She's setting everything up and she's doing she has her shopping line. She has some At sort Serena,
0: of, not to be confused with that Serena Williams.
1: Right, she has some sort of investment fund. She is doing things like being an Instagram influencer. It really does seem like she is using the platform that she has as our greatest tennis star in order to set up life after her tennis star, which I really commend her for. Yeah, My only concern is that is it getting in the way of actually being a tennis star? Because I, as a person who worships Serena and loves tennis and is a woman, would love to see her win one more. I think that would be so significant. And, you know, Serena has a history of of not liking to play tennis and not liking to practice. So I, when I see this, I'm like, on the one hand, great vacation. Love you. Love these chicken sandwiches. She seems really happy. She's still married. She loves that kid. And on the other hand, I'm just kind of like, Australia is in January, and I need you to Focus. be ready. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's also got some other stuff on here, like the Allstate Foundation— and Pampers US. Yeah. Pampers went hard on Instagram. A lot of people shilling for Pampers. But you know what? I support it. It's just definitely a noticeable turn. It's but really true. Get that green while you can, girl. She has a lot
1: of partnerships. She's really embraced being the, the the celebrity or the athlete who is doing everything, which I guess you would know better than I, but a lot of male athletes do that as well. So sure. Serena should do it. And, you know, Serena is still the greatest female tennis player of all time, and I would argue, honestly, the greatest player of all time, certainly the most dominant. But even when she was really at her prime for a long time, Maria Sharapova was making more in endorsements than she was because of racism. Right. And that, thankfully, has been rectified, I believed, but I support Serena
0: going and getting hers. I just, I really want her to win again. To your your point, I think the Maldives ones were so noticeable because that's the kind of thing that, like, second-tier NBA players do on NBA All-Star break when they don't make the game. They, like, go to, like, Cancun and they Instagram for the hotel. (laughs) I feel like Allstate, that's a lot more common. I feel like an insurance ad, I mean, we're very familiar with those here at The Ringer, you know? Right. It just stuck out because it was, like, Instagram travel.
1: Yeah, and the Allstate one is also about financial abuse. She is really lending her name to worthy causes as well as sponsorships, so I really respect it. I thought that the Maldives trip looked great. It did. Olympia seemed to be having a lovely time. There Good was a lot of content about a chicken sandwich on the pool menu mm, at the— On her stories. At Maldives World Warfare Story. Yeah, it was, like, over days. It was about ordering the chicken sandwich and what type— And it it looked really great. I'm now really hungry,
0: and I'm with like, one of these chicken sandwiches. I've always wanted to go to the Maldives. They went there, um— for the Becca's finale on The Bachelor and I thought it looked really nice. Actually, okay. that might have been the Seychelles. I can't uh, can't remember. But okay. I've always wanted to go to both Maldives and the Seychelles. All right. Lastly, this week is a mashup of our favorite Wish Them Well and Architectural Digest. <laughs> David Harbour, we wish you well with your New York City quote-unquote loft, more of that in a second, which we see in Architectural Digest in your 10-minute YouTube video. So, this article is written by a fellow Juliet Juliet Aizon. I just had, had to note that. And he just renovated what he they call a a downtown loft. But really, it's what he calls it. He calls it a one-room loft type, very New York space in downtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And we looked at it. And as you pointed out, this is not actually a loft. It is one floor of a brownstone. I think it's one floor.
1: Yeah. So it's in Nolita, it says. So they don't have full brownstones, but it seems more like just an apartment building or a smaller apartment building that he has a whole floor of.
0: Yes, that's correct and he has a fucking ton of plants like there're plants everywhere mm-hmm. it looks like he went to terrain anthropology's garden store and just bought so much of it
1: well let's talk about the design here because it is just the most instagram aesthetic apartment that i have ever seen you've got the multiple plants you've got the pink plates in the the dining room you've got the even like the handles on the door fixtures and the cabinets and the very fancy stove. It just the the bookshelves. I don't think they're rambo organized, thankfully. Thank God. But
0: it really really looks so deeply instagrammy. Yeah. And also the like the like I want one room loft is also super instagrammy. Against the open floor plan, you know, don't do it. Yeah, it's true. Though the the open floor plan does photograph well. It does. It just I don't like this place. I feel like he overpaid. I don't need to know much to know that I feel he overpaid.
1: It's not that I mind it necessarily. I think I would live there happily, you know? Who am I
0: to judge? I think—I like the ceilings. I'm just not into Brownstone apartments. I really like the bookshelf. It just doesn't feel um, comfortable to me.
1: The bookshelf or the apartment? The apartment. The layout is a little confusing to me, which is never a good
0: sign, because that means that one room is just kind of— like New York apartments the other. And are small. That's, everyone knows that unless you're really rich. And there's a way to have a layout that feels more expansive. Mm-hmm. And I find that brownstone apartments where you just get like one floor and it's like you just walk straight back and there's rooms off to the side mm-hmm. just feel really small to me. And just like feel constrictive. You can't do much with them.
1: Yeah, we. I did one floor of a brownstone apartment, which is my favorite New York apartment. So I have a particular fondness for mm-hmm. them. I was also, you know— turned 30 in that apartment. Sure. So I like didn't need a ton of space. And I found it very quaint and charming. Sure. So I'll always defend it. But you know, it's not, it's not huge. No. And it's not super mobile. I also, we, in that brownstorm, we rented like one floor from the people who owned it. And it was a really lovely quintessential New York thing because they lived on the bottom two floors. We rented out one floor. There was another studio. And then our landlord had an office on mm. the fourth floor. And he was a a jazz critic. Oh my god! And so you would hear the jazz music kind of wafting through the house, which was very charming. From a, but again, you could hear your neighbors at all times. Yeah. You are very aware when their teenage daughter had a party. I think we even tra- like offered to chaperone once. <laughs> but so it was. It was a communal space. It's not like an individual experience. I thought it had its charms. I don't live there anymore. This my thing is. I just don't. I don't know from these photos what David Harbour's taste is. And it's not even that it's bad taste, because all of these things look nice. You know, I, too, like plants. I think this couch looks comfortable. It just, as you said, it looks like a store. And the only personal details are, like, the Stranger Things book that he points out. And he does have a copy of the Patrick Melrose novels, which Juliet loves. I do. And then, like, two copies of Don Quixote. Which he said are unread. Right. I appreciate the honesty there.
0: Me, too. too. I will say this— this spread is not going to do much to debunk the theory that you go to Architectural Digest and you're trying to sell because it looks so much like Instagram. It's so, like, generic look that you're all familiar with in Covet. Yeah. I got to tell you,
1: the guitar's on the wall. Not for it's real? It's just a no. It's a real no. I agree. But I guess if you're like into guitars. Who is just pulling a guitar off a wall and being like, (laughs) now it's time to play my guitar? No one. No one's doing that. If you use the guitar, it's stored somewhere where you can have access to it. And if you don't use the guitar, let's
0: not have it as decor choice. That's where I am. I agree with you. Okay. It's also like, clearly they're not in use. They're like different sizes. They're clearly decor, not actually for use. I would be more okay if it was for use. But they have a lovely bench. I do like this wooden decorated bench it's not it doesn't look comfortable though it's like again just for decor it's not for seating right i we like sh- functional seating we
1: should also point out that he does have the Pharaoh and ball paint the Pharaoh and ball name check do you know about Pharaoh and ball of course there's a great new yorker story on it a couple weeks ago i think oh. or maybe it was a couple months ago now but how it became kind of the instagram the design it paint of choice because it has a nice logo i think so nice here label. we are it's very funny i like sharon williams what's wrong with that I, I don't know. Anyway, I think you're right. It does seem like he's trying to sell this.
0: Yeah. He points out the stove and is like, I don't cook. And this is like, well, then why did you do this? Another thing I don't like is shelves where your stuff gets dusty. Exposed shelves. Like, mm-hmm. what's the point? I It's just not a functional home. Just, it, this is a home for looking at.
1: Yes, exactly. And maybe that's the point. Maybe he is not. he's not really using the kitchen that often. He's just sleeping there. He and Lily Allen are hanging out. I don't know. There's no mention of Lily Allen in this. I kind of hope that's
0: still going on. Me too. Okay. Me too. Maybe they're moving in together. That's yeah. why he needs to sell. David Harbor. We wish you well. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week for a book club edition of Jam Session. We've selected our book. It's lengthy. We're gonna do our best though. It's so heavy. It's it's Jane Fonda's My Life So Far. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. She's really making it. She's continuing to make a name for herself via protests, and I'm loving it. And we will get into that in this book. Yes.